to the Sabbath edition of the Daily Walk. Today we are in 1 Corinthians 7 through 10, and man, does it get good because it talks about personal convictions. Paul addresses that again. He talks about intimacy and marriage, first thing, and then he talks about how we handle temptation and it is good stuff today. So when we enter into our Sabbath today, let's enter into it with a mindset that says, Lord, I am yours. And as we talked about yesterday, let's go in with an expectancy for an encounter. What a good day. Yesterday was a good day in the Lord. My daughter gets got home and everything is good. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for that. So let's get started. I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, today on the Daily Walk, as usual. And we start off in 1 Corinthians 7. If you are married, you need to see this. If you're getting married, you need to see this because Paul tells us right up front. And he is answering questions. And the first verse starts out now regarding the question you asked in your letter. And you can see that it's talking about sex. You know, the George Michael song, let's talk about sex. Maybe some of you don't know that. But this is not from a worldly point of view because a worldly point of view says let's be promiscuous, let's do a lot of different things. Let's see how many notches we can get in our belts. And Paul dispels that right away because he's talking to the church of Corinthian. And actually, what becomes a real big thing is sexual immorality is huge there. They worship the god Aphrodite. Think about that one. And they start talking about things becoming Corinthianized. So Paul says, you know, first you should abstain, first and foremost, which we try to teach forever and ever and ever. There's always results if we can't abstain. But then he says if you're married, that the husband should fulfill the wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And they give authority of their bodies over to each other. So that is consensual authority. That, that is the whole vow of two become one. That means in intimacy, we are one. That has nothing to do with forceful advantage. That has nothing to do with uh, you owe me, that has not, That is two people coming together as one and in agreement knowing that they are there to be compassionately passionate with each other in the name of Jesus Christ. 
as Lord of their life. Because when everything is done with God first, it all falls together the way God wants it to. And, you know, my wife and I have this uh, agreement that we did way back before we ever got married. As long as God is first, everything will be okay. And my wife always has said, I want you to love God more than anything, more than me, because I know that if you love God the most, then you'll love me the way you're supposed to. And so really that's what Paul is saying here, and I concur with my wife on that, the same for her, because he's saying if you have God first in your life, then all these things will fall together for you in your intimate life with your, your spouse. And the only time you should refrain from this intimate time together is if you both agree on it so that you can give of yourselves more to prayer. So just as you might say this is the time where we're going to spend being intimate with each other, you can also say this is the time where we're going to spend being in prayer together. My wife and I spend every morning before we go to work in prayer together. Some people may say, whoa, that's intense. But, you know, we start real early. And so for us to be able to spend that time in prayer together before we start our day is really, really, really good because that's how we keep God first in all things. And so God gives this command, and Paul repeats it, that a, a wife must not leave her husband and a husband must not leave his wife. And he puts this out there. If there's one of them isn't a believer and one is and they can stay together, then they should because the one that is a believer brings holiness into the relationship and that's what the kids get to see as holiness because you bring, the believer brings holiness to the, the relationship and the holiness aspect into it. And by your holiness, you give God a chance to work on the unbelieving aspect of the relationship so that maybe the Lord and the Holy Spirit can move them to see God's holiness through you, the believer. It could be husband or wife, and he, he clarifies that in there, and draw them into a relationship with Christ too to where the two become believers together as well. Fortunately for us, we are both solid in our relationship with Jesus first and foremost. Okay, so that's huge. We want that in our relationship, okay? But Paul also makes this clear that you have to live in peace, okay? So I know in relationships where one is a believer, they don't always live in peace. There's abusiveness involved. There's uh, betrayal involved. There's all kinds of things that happen because their faith is stronger than the worldly views of the other spouse. And, and Paul says, God doesn't expect you to live like that. So that is your clear that it's okay to live safely outside of that relationship. But he really wants us to live 
in relationship so that your holiness can be what brings them to the Lord. And that's what he's trying to reveal to us. And he points that out in that for us, which is really good. So chapter 7 is really good. It really points out how much we really need God in our relationship, how much we need to care for each other with God first in intimacy with our relationship and stay in the relationship even if one isn't a believer as long as you're safe in that relationship. And yeah, it talks about sex. We should not deprive our spouses of that part of the intimate relationship god ordained that when he created adam and eve or there wouldn't be any more people on the earth right be fruitful and multiply he said so then he moves on to chapter eight and he talks about our personal convictions because he talks about food sacrificed idols remember we talked about that in romans as well but the Corinthians have lots of idols. They have lots of pagan gods that they deal with. And so this, this food given to idols is a big thing there. And so what happens is a lot of times a believer will be sitting down and they'll offer them a f some food that had just been or food that was going to be used for or is known to be given to idols. And so Paul is saying, hey, food is food. God is God's the creator of all food. And if you know for sure that in your heart that that food is not going to change anything about you and your relationship with Christ and you know it's okay to eat it, that's all fine. But if you eating it is going to make another believer fall because, he's, whoa, what are you doing? You can't eat that food because that's the food they use to give to idols. That's the food they give to sacrifice to idols. That's the food that they set aside for the idols they worship, if that's going to cause another believer to fall, then that's when you don't partake of that. And so, you know, there's a lot of people in a lot of different uh, mindsets today that do have a relationship with Jesus that say, I, I just prefer not to eat this. You know, my wife and I are in a health and wellness plan right now where we prefer not to eat that. It has nothing to do with our belief in Jesus. It just has to do with our overall health. And we believe that our body is our temple, the, the temple that God gave us. We believe that God has given us this ability to get healthier. We're healthier than we've been probably in our whole married life, to be honest. And we feel good. So we're, we know what foods we can't eat anymore because we choose not to, not because they're offered to idols, but we also know that we're in the company of others who think that it's okay to eat that in, a, in an effort to be polite. We don't just say, no, I'm not going to eat that. We know that in that moment to not make others fall and not to carry ourselves as holier than thou and not to carry ourselves as uh, people that are unappreciative, we may eat with them in fellowship. Well, on the flip side of that, people sit down to eat and they're trying to give you something that was offered the day before to a idol, a pagan idol, 
and a believer sees that, they're going to say, you can't eat that because that was given to an idol. So where we don't want to cause people to fall because they see pride in us, they don't want you to cause people to fall because people are trying to grow in their belief and they know that these idols are getting that food that you're about to eat. But see, what we know is there's only one true God, and that's what Paul is saying. We know there's only one true God, and that idols are nothing but a piece of material, you know, wood, stone, or whatever. And so we know that that food is not doing anything for that idol so that it's harmless. But in an effort to keep the peace and to not cause a brother to sin, do not do that. Because Paul says, because if what I eat causes a believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live. So because if we, in our superior knowledge of knowing what God calls real and not real, cause another believer to sin, then we are doing what is wrong, and we are sinning against Christ. Because what we're going to hear later is he takes that even farther and says we should never cause another believer to stumble. And that's just in another letter he'll write later that he's going to reword it to that point where we should never cause another believer to stumble. So 1 Corinthians 8, is all about that. And then 1 Corinthians 9, he's defending ministry again because, you know, we had the day, uh, day before where he described the life of a minister and how they take a lot of grief, you know. And so now he's defending why he should why ministry people should be paid. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the pay comes from the offering in the temple. And he goes clear back to the Old Testament day when the priests were paid by and fed by what was left from the sacrifices brought to the temple from the offerings that were brought to the temple. And he's, so he's like, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And then he says, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. And so then he goes on and says, but I've never used that right. And I'm not writing to suggest that I want to start that right now. But he's just trying to support those that are out there in ministry so that we know that as church people, our duty is to support those people. And for today, that would be in the tithes and offerings of the church. That's how the local church pastors and ministry teams in a lot of bigger churches are paid. And so, you know, I, I talked about this the other day where, you know, if we're all coming to church and we're all into this, 
we should all be vested because if we're all into this, we should all contribute to this because we all believe in this. And if we're not all contributing to this to help it succeed and go, then really why are we here? Because we are so quick to do whatever it takes to help other programs succeed, you know, and, and I think of, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach, so I always think about how much uh, investing happens for our kids to play in sports or for, or for us to make sure they get to here and to there and how many dollars go into that, you know. And even for, like, coaches, we, we invest into what we do because we believe in what we do. And not just the job itself, but in helping student-athletes succeed. And so, you know, if that's what we're doing, then maybe we should realize how important, if that is in the world, then we should realize how important it is in God's world. And then Paul doesn't leave it there because he says, I love how he puts this in there. First Corinthians 9.25, I had a shirt like this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. So see, I'm not crazy because I'm a sports geek. All athletes, 1 Corinthians 9.25, this is a good memory verse if anybody wants to remember. All athletes enter into extreme training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. And this is my addition. We do it for a prize that will never go away in eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. And I, and I love this verse because you know, the Lord has worked through me in, in sports, coaching, and play all my life, adult life. And I have all these uh, accolades from that from not just myself but my kids and I you know in coaching the Lord has blessed me with teams that have done well and helped me help see the success of kids doing well and that's my biggest delight is to see kids be successful young adults be successful and, and you know one of my players the other night I put him in and asked him to do something in a game and they went down and did exactly what I asked them, executed it well. And after it all went down, I, I, I'm pretty animated. I got real excited, jumped up and down, and, and did a big woohoo for them. And you would have thought we won the game on that, but it, was not, it wasn't even close because we were playing a perennial power that's like uh, two classes bigger than us, and they put a major thumping on us. But I was so excited for what they accomplished. <laughs> because they did so good and so paul is saying those prizes all fade away and i can tell you they do because i couldn't tell you where any of that stuff is right now i, I have a few in my office but they fade away those things are gone even from the league i ran for 10 years there was a christ center basketball league those kids have grown up those coaches and parents and and referees have gone on. But the gift we have in Jesus Christ never fades, never fails, and never goes away. He's always with you. <laughs> he's never going to get old. And he's always going to be there, no matter how old we get. And that 
is the greatest prize we can ever have. But it does take discipline and it does take training. Because if we don't discipline our life to live a life for Jesus, then it's like an undisciplined anything. It's just like a boat being splashed about in the sea of waves. So one more thing I want to bring up in nine is how Paul brings up being relevant. And I talk about relevancy a lot, but he talks about being relevant with those he's trying to share with. And he talks about when he's with the Jews, he, he lives in acts he, he lives and acts like a Jew. And I don't mean, you know, when I say acts like, he follows their customs. When he's with the Gentiles, he, he lives and follows their customs. He's being relevant with them. And when he's with the poor, he follows and does what the poor have to do so he can relate to them. And I love this because I've always said, we have to be relevant. So Paul says in this letter, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save someone. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean he's going to save them, but to bring them to the glory of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings through being relevant and that's huge. So we close with chapter 10. And man, the Sabbath, this is what's great. Chapter 10 hits on the uh, idol eating again. Here's the thing. If you know that's been given to an idol and they want to give it to you too, like you're in that setting, that's when you really don't want to eat it because that idol is their demon. So don't promote that. That's what he's saying in this one. That's why it's different. But what we get out of this is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because temptation is going to fall our way. And there's no temptation that we go through that nobody else hasn't gone through. And he says, the temptation in your lives are no different from what others experience. That would include Jesus when he was on earth, okay? And God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. So he's telling them this because they're tempted with this idol stuff going on because they're in this mega pagan place and he doesn't want them to fall back into their old ways. So don't eat anything that they're trying to serve you in the middle of pagan worship because that would take you down a, a path that you don't want to go. And when you're tempted, remember, there's no temptation that comes on you that hasn't come on any other man. And the Lord won't give you any more temptation than you can ever withstand. And anytime we're tempted, he'll always give us a way out. So here's a new way to look at temptation. Don't fret it. Don't be like, oh, no, I'm getting tempted. Now, if temptation approaches, let your first thought process be, 
Okay, temptation is at my door. Where is the way out? And that could be as easy as leaving a conversation, changing the subject, hitting the X, red X on your computer or, or your phone or whatever, however you X out of stuff. But get out because the Lord said he would always give you a way out. So if we get out of it because he gives us the way out of it, then we won't be able to fall into that sin. And he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God and do it what is best for others so that many can be saved. Always think, what would God do in this situation so that I can reflect his glory to those around me? Because what we do, believe it or not, can influence someone else in their decision and and this is their decision for Jesus Christ. And this is this is a wise word said by my assistant coach the other day. And I don't even know if he knew his quote in scripture, but he was. We are all teachers in some way. So we all need to be doing our best because we're trying to promote a team concept with our team. And I thought, man. That's huge. You don't you don't realize where that's coming from, but that's huge because that's truth. Truth lived out. And I was so happy to hear that because right here, right now, Paul is saying, there's no temptation you can't get out. Look, f look for the outdoor. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and always be thinking, how would God want me to handle this to honor him? so that others can be saved. So this Sabbath, when we go into the service, let's do everything for his glory and worship him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have a great Sunday. God speak, would you pour down like